Hello everyone, this is uh, Alberto Ferro, your host at uh, Where is the Music podcast. As you're getting ready for a new musical investigation, preparing your ears and imagination for another journey in the world of music, I would like to remind you that Where is the Music podcast has no sponsor. It relies entirely on donations from listeners like yourselves. You can find a link to my website, albertoferro.com, and to my Patreon account in the episode description. If you like what I do and would like me to continue doing it, I encourage you to become a supporter of the podcast, which publishes an episode every week. Thank you for listening, and now let's find out where is the music. Hello everyone and welcome back to Where is the Music podcast. With uh, today's episode, I thought I'm gonna um, introduce a series of episodes uh, that uh, I'm going to I'm going to call music seminars. Um, in in each one of them, I'm gonna uh, discuss and elaborate and investigate some particularly perhaps deep, perhaps intense. Uh, musical topic uh, I just want to uh, create some variety in the general trajectory of the podcast and uh, after a suggestion of a, uh, a friend who fondly listens to uh, to the podcast um, I realize that it's uh, it's good to perhaps distinguish those episodes that are related to maybe a musical piece or a musical artist uh, distinguish, I was saying, them from those episodes that are uh, meant to somehow uh, describe, explain, investigate a deeper uh, point with in regard with regards to music. Uh, and I thought today I was going to start one of uh, one of these. Today's episode is about. Uh, what music is made of music is not in the sound but in the listeners ears this the title of today's podcast sounds like beauty is in the eye of the beholder which is obviously true for music as well as for any other expression of beauty but uh, the case I'm making today is slightly different uh, we take for granted that music is made of sound and we perhaps learn at school that what distinguishes musical sounds from just noise is the fact that in music sounds are organized in order you can see already while not being wrong, how outdated this perspective is. Just think about the musical progress of the last 100 years, in which all sorts of acoustic experiments were conducted, including noises and sounds very much not orderly, such as metal chains, vocal utterances, or the merging through digital production of acoustic instruments and sounds artificially created. Sounds, I mean, that don't have a pitch. Sounds that can't be transcribed. 
like for example scratching piano strings with all sort of objects just to give one example or think about the presence in many modern classical neoclassical new age music of uh, the sound of rain wind birds etc arriving at perhaps uh, an ultimate extreme i'm thinking about the famous john cage piece 433 a piece that allows the listener to find music in whichever sound they hear from the stage or anywhere given that in in john cage's intention during this performance uh, no instruction at all is given 433 is indeed just four minutes and 33 seconds of silence and so you will find them uh, on the cd on the album or even online as you see the distinction between music and noise is not so clear and the idea that music is in the ears of listeners rings even more true so then can literally everything be music The philosopher, the British philosopher Roger Scruton makes a distinction between sound and tone. While every acoustic phenomenon can be considered sound, not every sound raises to the level of tone. Tone is not just a note from a musical instrument or an orderly acoustic phenomenon distinguished from a noise. Tone is a sound that carries intention, human intention, which allows the listener to experience an interaction with music, an exchange of intellectual or emotional content. A tone signifies more than the sound that reaches the ears. That extra dimension is what makes music a uniquely human activity. Dogs, cows or elephants can very well hear and perhaps even enjoy the sounds made by musical instruments. They might even prefer this or that type of music, but won't grasp nor respond to the human intention behind it. This important distinction allows us to put the phenomenon of music in a special place, a dimension somewhere in between the real, solid matter, tangible world, the one made of instruments, scores, 
physical action, human collaboration, which includes, of course, the acoustic dimension of a musical piece, the sound itself, which shares the same ontological reality as speech or color, and the world of our ideas, emotions, imagination, which is invisible, unquantifiable, unmeasurable, ever-changing, so difficult to bring out and communicate to others, but is a universal aspect of our existence, an experience we share with our fellow human beings. Music does a great job in bringing the two dimensions together. Without imaginations, idea, emotions, music's cores are just pieces of paper covered in ink. Without the intention to communicate something, playing an instrument is just a practical sequence of actions, leading to a practical result, not different in nature from fixing the engine of a car or set your garden in order. Just to be clear, as much as we enjoy those activities, even the creative part they entail, they require, as much as we find true pleasure in conducting them, perhaps focusing on the process rather than the result, and that we feel that by doing them we are actually expressing ourselves, there is no clear reason why we should think someone else will get something out of watching us while we carry them out, meaning fixing the car or gardening, in the same way they would attend the performance of music. Every piece of music exists in that space, and it is probably the reason why we feel so fascinated by it, drawn to inhabit that space, compelled to look into it. The piece we are going to look at today is a collaboration that extended over 200 years between Anton Webern, Austrian composer from the 20th century, and Johann Sebastian Bach, German composer from the 18th century. The collaboration I'm talking about is on a piece of music originally written by Bach towards the end of his life called Ricercare a Six from a larger work entitled Musical Offering, which uh, dated 1747, just three years before Bach's uh, death, and a transcription of the same piece for orchestra that Webern made in uh, early 30s. It was published in 1935. The reason I picked it is because through this example we can see how both Bach and Webern knew well that music is not in the sound, but in this dimension between the practical, real, tangible, and the imaginative, the ephemeral. Here is the beginning of Bach's piece.
etc. Bach composed the musical offering as a present to the regent king of Prussia in the 1740s, who was a, mu a musician himself. According to historical records, Bach improvised on a theme that was originally wrote by the king and subsequently worked out, refined and completed a larger body of pieces, all inventions on the same subject, the one that uh, you heard at the very beginning. So after he completed the piece, he sent it all together to the king weeks later with the title Musical Offering. The Richard Carr A6 is a composition for six different parts, for which Bach, interestingly, did not specify the instruments. The music would work regardless the instrument chosen by the interpreter we can play this music with six different instruments or at a single keyboard instrument, piano or harpsichord. The piece has been transcribed for a variety of ensembles throughout the years, but the version written by, by Weber is quite unique and interesting because he chose an ensemble of 11 different instruments plus a string quintet. It's 16 instruments at all. You can already see the perspective taken by these two composers with regard to this piece of music. On one side, Bach is almost indifferent to which sound exactly should be used to voice his composition. On the other, Webern takes apart the original score rewrites it, deciding to disregard the only instru instruction given by Bach, which is to be performed by six parts or voices or instruments, and fragments it into 16 separate parts. We're going to listen to Bach's version for harpsichord.
If we look at the intentions, then perhaps we can deduce that Bach's intention is to make music speak through its inner construction, the architecture. Bach seems to be interested in looking at music as a way to represent a, an outside order, a harmony of elements that is intrinsic to the world represented in this composition through the orderly, harmonic relationships of its elements. Bach is confident that whichever instrument or sound is picked to perform this composition, the architecture of the music would always be clear to the listener. On the other side, Weber is not satisfied with this somehow detached representation. The notes written on the score perhaps were to him a bit lifeless. Perhaps he felt that there was more expression to bring out and that a wider range of acoustic colors would help the original architecture to come out. Not only he allocates each melody, each motive, sometimes even single notes to a different instrument, but he adds articulation and dynamic to the music. He makes a point of exploiting the full potential of the instrument to be at the service of expression. The ensemble includes a flute, a oboe, horn, English horn, a clarinet, a bass clarinet, bassoon, trumpet, trombone, harp, timpani, and a string quintet. The musical result is superb and fascinating. The contrast between the two versions is huge. As I was saying, the contrast between the two versions is huge. Listening to the Richard Carr played by a keyboard, by the harpsichord, you might have the feeling that this music, while beautiful, exists almost under a glass, perfect for aesthetic admiration, in the same way we could look at an object in a museum. Perhaps that was the intention by Bach. But with the orchestra version, this incredible, rich and colorful texture allow us to explore 
the deeper connection between the notes and their emotional depth. The operation carried out by Weber is just an interpretation. He effectively interpreted and reimagined those notes wondering what could be the most expressive way to sound them. Most of the time, then a melody is played by more than one instrument, sometimes taking turns, other times playing together, showing that an individual musical element, such as a melody, can effectively be separated into its components to be reconstructed again in our imagination of listeners. While he practically carries out a fragmenting operation, splitting melodies and motives into small chunks, involving 16 instrumentalists to perform a piece that could be done by six, all the while requiring them a greater attention and care to be put into merge such variety uh, into some kind of unity. The musical result ends up being of outstanding coherence and integration. We're going to continue the listening now. I will encourage you to follow the music without trying to identify the distinct instruments, whether uh, a brass or woodwind, whether it's a clarinet or an oboe. Just let yourself be carried by the pure expression, the dynamic nuances, the rush and slowdown of this orchestra interpretation.
magnificent interpretation what a beautiful piece and masterful orchestration uh, if we compare what we just heard with Bach's original score we can say a few things perhaps Bach wasn't interested in these musical details or perhaps the style of this time did not allow him to explore all these expressive nuances or perhaps writing music with such level of detail will have not been as significant as it came to be in the 20th century we can think and argue about all of this but we also can at least posit that for both composers this music exists in both dimensions Bach focuses on creating an architecture that represents the harmony of reality allowing the listener to imagine all the expressive nuances he wishes and to freely respond to them in the same way we would appreciate and respond to a piece of art in a museum while Webern instead focuses on the story of expression carried by the piece invites the listeners to a journey of lush colors and nuanced emotions allowing them to perceive almost in the back of the head the underlying grandiose architecture originally designed by Bach to conclude music is not in the sound but in the listeners ears what does this tell us about music we have seen that both composers had a different intention in relation with the musical offering and that such intention depends on what they considered more relevant in it namely their personal interpretation of it as an artist i believe that there is nothing more important than intention and in order to transform intention into sound we constantly have to make judgments and choices with regard to what sound means to us effectively we are constantly elaborating interpretations as a teacher i find it necessary to promote interpretation as the starting point of every musical activity interpretation is that rather free activity where one can decide what a sign on the paper means and by doing so it is possible to identify intentionality behind it in other words we are doing what the philosopher Roger Scruton was suggesting at the beginning of this episode which is we are turning sound into tones by adding intentionality to them okay thank you everyone for listening to this episode i'm going to post links uh, of the music we heard uh, this was by uh, seiji ozawa and uh, i think the boston symphony orchestra um, but also if you want to know more about the musical offering the uh, the entire composition, the entire work that Bach composed uh, in uh, 1747 
there is so much more to it uh, but it's one of those late uh, works by Bach in which all his masterful musical wisdom comes out at uh, uh, full force uh, his ability to um, use the subject given to him by the by the king um, and play with it in incredible ways uh, i have uh, studied this piece uh, a while ago and i written a short uh, thesis about it uh, uh, explaining the construction of the whole piece and the um, perhaps aesthetic and philosophical uh, correlations and uh, this is available on my website i'm gonna put uh, a link to it um, i'm gonna also post a link with a more traditional orchestration uh, for harpsichord and a small chamber um, ensemble um, hopefully this will be the first of a series of uh, music seminars that are going to uh, be part of the Where is the Music podcast. I, I'm planning to perhaps do one every perhaps four, five episodes um, and we'll see how this goes. Um, thank you for listening and I will see you in one week time. Thanks for listening to Where is the Music podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, look up for others. I made a few. I publish an episode every week roughly, investigating each time a different aspect of music, the music making, the music listening, the meaning of music and its relevance in our lives. It is very helpful for me if you like, subscribe, follow on your favorite platform where is the music is on spotify apple youtube TuneIn, and google podcasts if you like to support me you're free to do so through patreon link in description thank you again until next time